Welcome to the Inquisitive VC. Today, I'm speaking to Chris McCann. Chris is a general partner at Race Capital, an early stage venture capital fund that leads investments in pre-seed and seed stage technology startups. Prior to Race, Chris was the community lead at Greylock Partners and a co-founder of Startup Digest, which was acquired by Techstars. We talk about his journey to investing, Solana, his anti-portfolio, art, and much more. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate your time. I've been following your work on Twitter for quite a while now. Cool. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. And I'm excited to come on the show. And, and by the way, I, I love the name because I, I feel like as a venture capitalist, like being inquisitive is usually one of like the most important traits. Yeah, thank you. I Yeah, I spent a lot of time thinking of one and that seemed to fit quite well. <laughs> so I'd love to start with, I guess, hearing about your background and, you know, going from being an entrepreneur to investing and then how you essentially fell down that crypto rabbit hole. Yeah, um, let me give you a slightly longer context, but I'll try to keep it um, a little bit brief to give you a little bit of the arc. So, sometimes I feel like um, uh, things always make sense looking at them from now and looking behind the scenes, all the, all the dots connect. But looking forward, sometimes it's always a little bit harder to see how these things would go. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I first got started. So I, I moved to the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, um, 2009, uh, after I graduated college. I threw all my stuff in my car, drove up to the uh, Palo Alto, no plan, no idea, no job, no anything. Um, and the, the first place I went to was this place called University Cafe in downtown Palo Alto. And I was eating a brunch there. And I heard two guys talking to, about Facebook next to me. And so I look up and I look over and it was uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Michael Arrington. Uh, Michael's the, the, the founder of uh, TechCrunch. And uh, uh, I was like, wow, this is incredible. Like literally it's like my first day in Palo Alto, like first meal. <laughs> yeah. And uh, at that point I decided that uh, I didn't know how I was but I was gonna be here in Palo Alto. That, that, was, that was my plan. And so um, long story short, this, this eventually culminated into the first company I started uh, which is called Startup Digest. It was a, a tech newsletter mostly focused on a lot of the um, events, activities, news and all the things that were going on uh, in this local area. And then we eventually expanded it to other cities. So at its peak, um, Startup Digest was covering basically every major metropolis city in the world, 550 cities, um, had about a million subscribers, and then was eventually acquired by uh, Techstars. And it's still operated and owned uh, by, by them today. Um, but um, I, I guess it's easy to talk about it now because everybody understands tech newsletters and they're like this really big concept and Substack and all this stuff. Back then, nobody was doing tech newsletters. This was not a thing. This was not a category. Nobody understood any of this stuff. Um, we, we were one of the um, very early users of this uh, uh, company called uh, Mailchimp. Um, so we were one of the first sort of major publishers kind of on their platform when they were first starting it. And like literally like none of this stuff um, existed. Um, so so I, I, I love that this is a sub industry now, but yeah, but back then was not the case. Um, and then uh, after that, um, I built, uh, with Startup Digest, we actually built a whole bunch of internal tools and stuff for ourselves to manage our community. And we tried spinning this out and turn it into its own company. It was called GroupTie. Uh, I ran it for about two years. We were trying to sell community tools, the businesses and stuff like that. Kind of like think what I guess Slack and Discord is doing now with these bigger external groups. Right. We were trying to do a lot of that stuff back in like the 2012, 13 timeframe. Nobody understood any of this stuff. Super hard to get any companies to actually buy into this. Um, our, our largest group that was using it was the Teal Fellowship, the Teal Foundation, and they used it for all their 
mentor communication and all their mentee stuff and all their um, events and activities for everything. But we had a really tough time getting other companies to kind of take this more seriously and seeing kind of where it fit in. Because, you know, at the time, like none of these big groups, communities, stuff, and none of this stuff really existed kind of back then. And maybe I guess this is the repeated pattern that I always see is it was just a little bit too early. Um, and, and so uh, while we were winding down uh, that company, um, one of the early users within the Teal Fellowship, this guy named Dan Portillo, um, he pinged me uh, wanting to learn more about you know, the product and stuff. Um, and at the time he was a partner at Greylock. And so um, uh, we, we met at Greylock's offices in San Hill Road. And I was giving him a demo, showing him, uh, but also telling him the story that wh why it didn't work and kind of all the lessons learned. And then, uh, uh, and then we started brainstorming about how Greylock itself could use communities and networks um, to, to you know, support portfolio companies, find new investments, do, you know, do all this kind of stuff. We had a super long brainstorming session. And at the end of it, Dan said, do you want to do this here? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, all the stuff we just talked about, just do this here. I was like, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> and so that, that's how I ended up at Greylock. Um, not your typical path into a venture capital fund. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I ended up starting and running all the community and network-based um, efforts and activities for the fund itself, which eventually tied into a lot of the um, emerging market sectors that we were looking at. But yeah, that was my entrance into VC. Um, I initially thought I was just going to be there for a couple of months and you know, probably leave and start something else. And a couple of months turned into almost five years. Um, so I, I was there for qu quite a while, um, working with practically kind of all the partners, all the areas, all the um, people at the firm itself. And then, uh, yeah, after after five years, I left, did a bunch of angel investments, some of which I'll, I'll probably talk about later. And then uh, one of my really good friends of mine, uh, Edith Young, we started brainstorming about what we wanted to do next. She was a GP at 500 Startups. And we pulled in two of our other close friends, this guy named Phil Chen and uh, Alfred Chung. Um, and we all decided to eventually start Race Capital together. Um, it's our own fund, our own, own image, focused mostly all early stage, so seed up to Series A, um, more sort of core infrastructure layer of all the things that we did. So again, I, I guess in hindsight, this all sounds really logical. We did a company, sold it, VC, started my own fund. But in hindsight, you know, honestly, I was making most of this stuff up half the time. Like a lot of this was uncharted territory that, you know, I, I was just weaving and turning my way kind of through. That's really interesting. It's great to hear that you were, I guess, pioneering some of these areas before they really existed. And I guess that's why I'd love to hear about how you found crypto then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the extended but truncated version of this is so back in the 2014-15 timeframe, Greylock made a handful of investments in this space, mostly Bitcoin companies, because at the time, the crypto industry was really Bitcoin. There, there really was not anything else. Um, so, you know, we, uh, Greylock invested in Coinbase, uh, Zappo, Blockstream, a handful of other companies, mostly, again, all, all, all Bitcoin centric. And, and so through that experience, I actually got to meet a lot of the really early um, core developers of Bitcoin itself, a lot of the core contributors, a lot of the people um, in the ecosystem. And it was just a, it was a fascinating, very different market subsector than any other thing we were looking at. I remember at Greylock at the time, we were looking at a bunch of things in AR, VR, autonomous vehicles, robotics, all, all kind of the new emerging areas. But the Bitcoin and crypto space as a whole had such a, it, it was so different with such different considerations that, that had very different um, assumptions than 
everything we took for granted, mostly in the tech area. Um, I, I, I was also, um, I, I guess, um, right place, right time. Uh, um, at, at that time, this is, you know, before I was married, before kids, I used to live in the, like this big hacker house um, in Cupertino. And one of the people uh, living there, he was a, a, not a founder, but he was like a really, really, really early um, uh, core developer for Ethereum itself. And he kept telling me like, you need to do the Ethereum ICO. You need to do the Ethereum ICO. And, but then when I asked him, like, can you tell me a little bit more about this Ethereum thing? The way he explained it, he's like, smart contracts, we're going to automate lawyers. And I was like, what do you mean you're going to automate lawyers? It's, we're going to write all the rules and contract and code, and it's all going to be enforceable, or whatever. It was such a confusing thing at the time. But uh, um, I, I listened to him, not enough, but a little bit. Um, and, and I'm participating a little bit on the Ethereum um, ICO side. Um, and then I guess like through that experience and knowing a bunch of the kind of friends and people he knew that that was kind of like what led me down this path. And um, I, I guess right place, right time. When I left Greylock, this was right in the like 2017-ish timeframe when a lot of the stuff was also picking up, picking up steam. So in, in 2017, I didn't make a ton of um, uh, uh, angel investments, but I, I made a few. Uh, in 2017, I was one of the earliest users and investors for this very tiny exchange called Binance, which is just starting um, in early, early 2000, basically end of 2017, early 2018. Um, I was one of the very first investors for Solana uh, back when Anatoly was first starting the project. Um, uh, I got to know him through a lot of the other previous work that I did. He was a super talented individual, um, a really just impressive person. Um, and then for the for the fund itself, when, when we formed Race and uh, 2019, we were one of the uh, uh, earliest investors uh, for this other exchange that got started called FTX, uh, which Sam Bankman, the founder there, also similarly super impressive um, individual in person. And, and so, yeah, I, I guess going back to the inquisitive theme, some of this was just for self-learning, different area. You know, I, I wanted to be exposed to this stuff. I wanted to use it and try it, not just talk about it. I, I feel like a lot of the times people love to talk about all these big, broad concepts of self-sovereignty and your own money and DeFi and all this sort of stuff. But very few people actually use this on a daily basis. Like I've always tried to be more on the usage side of it. And so like I've used a lot of these things. I've been LPs for a lot of these things. I've formed a lot of these things. I've created NFTs. Like, you know, I actually like to get into the weeds and, you know, use a lot of this stuff. Um, but yeah, that was, I guess, my journey of how I initially heard about it and then kind of how I got sucked down the rabbit hole, so to speak. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Solana. Like it's been on an amazing run, I guess, over the past past bit. Um, I'd love to hear, I guess, you know, your hindsight view as well, but why you're so bullish on Solana and what what really I guess drove you to making that initial investment. Yeah. Um so as I was mentioning, Anatoly, who's one of the kind of main technical co-founders of the project himself, he's a ridiculously impressive individual. And so um, when I met him, I basically told him, whatever you do, I don't really care what it is. I'm willing to back you in whatever. Um, and then he eventually um, sent me on email what eventually would become part of the first version of the initial white paper for um, Solana itself. Keep in mind, back then there was nothing built, no testnet, no code written, no co like literally this thing was a concept idea um, that there, there was nothing built at the time. Um, but I guess what intrigued me so much about it is I guess contextually remember, so 2017, 18, this is about the time period when CryptoKitties was really taking off. 
Um, transaction fees started to kick up a lot. And there was this big question on uh, if these networks are going to be highly used, the transaction fees would start to really um, be so high, they would, they, you know, they would really start to be a detriment to the ecosystem. And so how do you solve the scaling problem? And so a lot of people started coming up with sharding, these layer two solutions, um, sort of roll-ups, you know, ZK Snarks was kind of in its early days. A lot of these concepts and theories were being talked about. And uh, Anatoly, you know, before um, Solana, he was a, a infrastructure engineer at Dropbox. And before that, he was an early um, core developer at Qualcomm, mostly working on very low level protocol um, type stuff for CDMA chipsets. Basically how we relay all the, all the phone calls back and forth um, to each other. And um, um, I, I guess Anatoly's insight was when he looked at the scaling problem, he wanted to solve it in the method that he had used before, where he's like, the way you do this is you pin it through time. Um, you know, you, you don't try to create these super complex networks or whatever, but if you can create basically a clock that everybody can agree upon, um, we can use this to basically order transactions. Um, th there's a very similar concept in the um, centralized server world called Google TrueTime. Um, it's a very sort of similar concept idea, but this is applying it to a decentralized, not a, de not a centralized network. And, and so the initial pitch was this, I, I want to use this time-based sync clock idea to bootstrap a, its own blockchain. I'm not, his, in his uh, I guess context was, he was not sure if this was gonna work, but if it did work, this did have the potential to greatly lower the cost of transactions greatly increase the amount of transactions that can be handled by, by the system itself and really scale this for, um, for actual internet scale usage on both sides, for users and for developers. So it was one of those, if it worked technically, this could be a big thing with a ton of open questions outside of the basics of, could this be built? Could it work? Could it scale? Could this not be centralized? To the other more ex existential questions of, even if you could build this, would anybody actually even care? Would developers actually build upon this to do anything with it? Because um, there was a whole bunch of these layer one scaling solutions or layer two scaling solutions all being started, all being heavily funded. Um, but there was always this question of would anybody build upon this thing, these new things that you're doing? Because you could build the best system in the world, but if nobody uses it, it doesn't really matter. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I guess this is contextually, um, where it came about, uh, how I met Anatoly, and, and at least like the asymmetric bet that he was going for at the time. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then recently I saw on Twitter, Dylan from Save Race Hugh mentioned you decided to lead their round a day after meeting them. Um, how do you form such conviction to lead a round in, in such a short time frame? Yeah. Um, so, so again, I, I guess contextually now that I told, told, told you this part, like, you know, I've been involved in the Solana ecosystem literally from the start um, seeing this. And in the beginning, uh, um, you know, they had to build a network to begin with. And then once it was built, they actually had to find developers and applications and people to build stuff upon it, which by the way, was no easy task in the early days. The first really big break for them was they eventually got FTX to build Serum, uh, a central limit order book on top of Solana. And after that, that's when you saw uh, larger proliferation of developers start to take Solana seriously. Because before that, it was still very much a oddity or like kind of this different path that, that they took outside of the space, but there was no real concrete 
usage or use case from it. It was hard to see, um, but uh, FTX, the FTX team picking it and building Serum on top of it gave a, a lot of people an example to look at, a team to follow, um, and, and something to really kind of point to as an example. And so shortly after there was the, the very first hackathon um, that, that Solana put together. Back at the time, there was really no emphasis on the, on the hackathon. Um, there was a bunch of teams and stuff that got formed, but nothing like we see today, um, which led into the, the second hackathon had a much kind of bigger, wider scope and a lot more people started paying, paying attention to it. Um, but uh, 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 Saber and StableSwap was really born from the first one. Um, so, so Saber was initially called StableSwap. They built the StableSwap contract um, written in Rust. And Dylan and Ian, uh, they don't talk about this as much, but they were part of the, the, there was an initial core group of about six or seven companies and people that created the word DeFi and this concept of decentralized finance. And uh, Dylan and Ian were part of that uh, uh, conversation back then. So, so they had been doing a lot of stuff in this space since again, before it was recognized, before it was, you know, cool or whatever. Um, and then, um, Dylan went to go on to work at uh, 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 OKEx for a while. Um, and then both of them are very early um, engineers at uh, Pipe, um, which is a super highly regarded company in the um, sort of traditional uh, startup space. And, and so um, we, we actually happened to know his former boss at OK. And then we knew some of the early team members at Pipe. And both and when we asked them about Dylan and Ian, both of their uh, responses were resounding what is Dylan and Ian doing? Can I invest? I'm in. What is it? I don't really care. Like I'm all in. Like the, the, these two, uh, Dylan and Ian are ridiculously impressive. Whatever, they, almost like my reaction to Anatoly, they had the same reaction to Dylan and Ian. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, we, we had been looking to make a more significant bet from the fun side on the Solana ecosystem. This is the perfect team that we could find. And they were really building one of these core infrastructure layers for Solana DeFi that can be start to used by other protocols and ecosystems um, in the system itself. And so, uh, um, yeah, a lot of it was, if I had to sum it up, I guess it was prepared mind, high reference. Um, and, and, and also I, uh, um, I greatly appreciated their very clear idea of what they wanted to do and very tight conviction on when they wanted to do it. Um, they, they didn't have a um, loose, broad concept of what they wanted to do. Like they already had a very tight roadmap, uh, roadmap and deadlines of what they wanted to hit. And by the way, they hit all those and way more than that. Um, so so we, we love to find these teams with a high execution sense to them. Cause I feel like a lot of times in the crypto space, sometimes it tends to be more about these big ideas and less about the execution. And um, we tend to kind of bias the other way around. That's great. Yeah, like uh, I, I see the similarity in the two stories um, of Solana and Sabre, but yeah, I could see how you could be able to form conviction at, at that point. What would you say are some highlights of your anti-portfolio and what you've learned from it? Anti-portfolio, that's a good one. Um, um, maybe I'll highlight one. There was this company we saw in the pre-seed, seed, seed extension uh, uh, round multiple times. And multiple times we said, no, uh, Axie Infinity. Um, again, it, it's, it's easy in hindsight to look at this and say, this is such a huge success. Why was this not so obvious? Much harder in foresight. 
I guess it was a little bit easier for us because, again, we don't tend to focus as much on the gaming side. Um, we're more core infrastructure, low level transaction systems, plumbing type stuff that tends to be our, our sweet spot. We don't tend to do as much on the pure consumer level application. So whether that's games or creator type stuff or um, social apps or anything like that, it's just not our um, sweet spot. Not to say that these things won't work or be successful. Obviously they have, um, but it, it just not, it tends not to be our, our emphasis. Um, but yeah, at the time, Axie Infinity was these cute little characters that you can battle that, you know, you, you could have and that you can own. And um, the, the, the artwork and design was always really um, um, well done, but uh, um, uh, I, I, didn't, I did not have the foresight to see of how this would turn out to be significant scale. Um, and again, none of the play to earn concepts were baked in back then. None of them were even really being explored or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I really should been, been more inquisitive <laughs> and learn about that space, uh, despite my, uh, 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 skepticism. And then, uh, um, uh, uh, my partner, Edith, she used to be at 500 startups and one of, one of her other 500 startups, uh, counterparts, this guy named Bin Tran, um, he did invest in their, uh, seed round when they were first starting. And it's been a huge a multiple fund returner for him. So again, I think in the in the venture space, you can't win them all. There's certain sectors you do, sector certain sectors you don't do. And then I guess like specific investment partners, they also do, the other thing which I try to emphasize too is you should find and source and pick companies that you're actually like genuinely interested and into and you're gonna use in some way. So, so even though it's part of the anti-portfolio, it's really like, I just wouldn't have been like the right type of person for that at the time. Like, um, it was just not my, I don't know, it was just not my thing. Um, where, where you really want to find an investor who, ideally you want to find an investor who genuinely likes what you're doing, not just because they think they can get a return from it, but like they actually are like into the product, into how it works. Again, they don't need to be the, number one user of it but like they you know they should actually use the product in some form or fashion yep no i hear you um that's a great one actually especially with the run it's been on um what's a secret obsession of yours that not many people know about i'm not sure how many people not know about it but um yeah i i guess uh, um uh, so outside of the venture world, I also have a, a family and stuff. I have a pretty big hobby. I've been doing photography for a really long time um, since before the, the Bitcoin Genesis block. Um, it's always been more just like a kind of hobby, passion thing to, you know, kill time, if you will. Um, but but uh, I tend to get pretty hardcore about it, I guess. And then in, in 2016, I was the National Geographic Photographer of the Year, wow. um, which is Kind of a crazy thing to win <laughs> and so uh, after i won that i started to do a lot more of these uh, uh galleries exhibitions showings commission type stuff um so I, i've done a lot of stuff in i guess the more traditional art world too and, and so when all this crypto nft stuff came about i had always been trying to find a way of how to use more of this artistic creative side to try some of these things and kind of like what i was saying before is i actually like to use this stuff not just talk about this and so one of the things I tried is uh, um, I wanted to go to the full end-to-end -end process of actually taking a photograph and actually creating, minting an NFT uh, um, through the whole thing. Again, not just in theory, but to actually do it myself. Um, and then in the Ethereum space, I, I've been, a, um, I guess, early launch partner for a handful of these uh, 
new NFT marketplaces. And then I guess most recently is, uh, I guess, my love for Solana. I've been trying to see how I can do this in the Solana space. And, and, and so I have a, um, again, it's more of like an art thing, but more of like an art project, generative art side that I'm going to do uh, called Playground within the, within the Solana space. Um, again, this is more for fun, for experiment, for playing. Like it, it's not as serious for me. Like it, I guess it's my own artistic outlet for a lot of the stuff. But uh, um, I, I don't know how many people know this, but I, I guess it's out there now. <laughs> That's really cool. I'll be looking forward to that one. Um, what's the latest publicly announced investment you've made and why did you make it? The latest publicly announced investment. Um, there's a whole bunch of them that have not been announced that I probably can't talk about. Um, the, the latest one that, uh, I guess one of the things to context, so Race Capital Venture Fund, um, we're not like a pure crypto fund. So we definitely make investments in the space, but we do a lot of other um, general things too, anything on the infrastructure layer. And so our, our most recent investment we publicly talked about um, was we were a very, very small part of the most latest, the most recent round that Databricks just, just raised. Um, Databricks is a super well-known company in the data infrastructure space. Uh, my partner, Alfred, he was one of their early seed investors. Um, so similar to me in um, Solana, he has his own story with um, Jan Stoika there um, and, and how he got involved with uh, uh, Databricks when it was originally Spark. And, and so um, we, we did a small participation um, in that one. That's probably the most recent one we announced. Cool. Okay. Thank you. No, that, that's a really interesting one. Um, it, it's it's good to hear that you're actually quite um, more across general tech as well, not just crypto. Um, yeah, yeah, I definitely think yeah, crypto is one of those specific subspaces that like you have really have to get into and know about and kind of be part of the ecosystem. But at the same time, I also think a lot of crypto people would benefit a lot from knowing kind of what's going on more in the general tech world. So we tend to straddle this much more than a lot of other firms out there. Yeah, no, fair enough. I, I feel like it's getting quite hard to stay across crypto at this point as well with all the things happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we, yeah. Yeah. Maybe one other comment to that is, uh, uh, you know, back in the 2014, 15 timeframe, crypto used to be such an easier space because it was just Bitcoin. Even 2017, 18, it was a much more manageable space. N now it's such a wide ranging, like crypto isn't like a singular thing anymore. There's all the way from layer one protocol transaction systems up to, you know, DeFi financial related concepts to NFT artistic related things to creator economy to social um, to on and on and on. Like it's actually a, it's a much more horizontal sector than I think most people give it credit for. And, and so there's definitely certain people and firms and stuff that tend to focus on other like certain subspaces versus the other. And so, yeah, um, crypto isn't like the singular concept either. It's like this actually multifaceted space. And yeah, it, it'd be almost impossible to try to keep up with every single thing going on. Like it, it's, it's impossible at this point. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, like I've been working full time in crypto and I'm always feel behind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's all the questions I had, Chris. Um, once again, thanks so much for coming on. Really loved um, talking to you. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, if, if any founders are out there building anything in the crypto ecosystem or specifically Solana ecosystem, I'm just chris at race.capital. So um, feel free to reach out anytime. <laughs>